In his 2008 book, Outliers, the author Malcolm Gladwell popularized what he called the 10,000 hour rule. The idea was fundamentally pretty simple. To master any skill, it takes 10,000 hours. Since the book released, it's been the subject of a lot of debate. It's probably fair to say that many now believe it oversimplifies the process of true mastery. But what did it get right? What makes a great performer or performance? In this episode, I'll be talking to instructors, alumni and performers about what the activity of drum corps demands, but also what it gives. What drives young people from around the world to dedicate their lives to produce a moment that although fleeting, will endure in memories for years to come. So what better way to start an episode about the performers than talking to my own co-producer, Mallory Anderson. She marched Blue Nights in 2008 and Seattle Cascades in 2007. So Mallory, I know a little bit about how you got into drum corps, but if you had your time back, if you could say go back to being 18 years of age and do it all again, what would you like to do? Is there any roles? Is there any... Uh, part of the activity that you didn't get to experience the first time that you'd like to go back and try? Oh my gosh. Um, well, first off, I'd like to say I would have started way earlier than 18 if I had right. okay. fair. That's fair. gotten myself <laughs> together soon enough. I That's my biggest regret is I didn't start sooner. Um, hmm. But I think because, so I was actually uh, in, at my high school, I was a drum major my senior year. And so I, I did toy around when I very first auditioned for drum corps. I thought for the hottest of seconds about auditioning for drum major. And so part of that still kind of lingers. I'm like, oh, that would have been really fun. Because I really did enjoy my time as a high school, you know, a marching band uh, drum major. But the horn line was too much of a draw for me. I do really, really love being on the field. And I mean, there's always... I don't know, it's always the couple of cores that you're like, man, if I had the guts, I wonder what it would have been like to just audition for them. Right. Um, like Anyone I, in particular? I have a big soft spot in my heart for Carolina Crown. I love their yeah, shows. Yeah, makes sense. Every year, they're so fun to watch. Their, their music is always something I'm just incredibly drawn. I like every year they pick a show and I'm like, Oh, that's so cool. Or I love that music. Um, I just think they're, they've got a cool vibe. And I was like, man, I, if I could go back and do it again, I would have at least auditioned for crown. Mm -hmm. So is there anything else that you would have liked to try if you had your time back again? 
I actually did Winter Guard, a, just one year of Winter Guard in high school as well, because I wanted to see what that was like. It was Color Guard's very foreign to me. Winter Guard's very foreign to me, um, or was. So I did a season of that and had an absolute blast. And with Blue Nights, I actually sat on the Color Guard bus. And so, mm. yeah, a lot of my friends that year were actually um, on guard and on guard. Sorry. Um, bad joke. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but I had a lot of fun. My friend Lauren would always show me how to how to twirl and show me little moves like in between, you know, in between running sets or if we had a break or something like that. So maybe color guard would have been a fun, fun thing to try out. Because it is, there's nothing more satisfying watching someone chuck a rifle that far in the air and like that snap when it's such a yeah. clean catch. Oh, nothing better. It's so cool. So in 2008, then you had an orphan year. Tell me a little bit about what that was like. I mean, you must have really loved drum corps. You know, choosing to go back a second year to drum corps means that yeah. you must have loved it the first year adored I mean, it look, it's tough i mean i'm part of what we're going to be talking to the performers and uh, the other guests on the episode today is you know about how how tough the the the, the mm. whole pro- the whole process is um you know it's it's pretty unique in the in the world of the marching arts to do something as intense as drum corps particularly mm-hmm. drum corps in the u.s and drum corps <clears throat> within the dci so what drives you to go back a second year? I mean, what drives you so much so that you're willing to even move over to another core in that second year that you love it that much that you want to come back? What were your what were your sort of deciding factors when you decided to go to Blue Nights? Yeah, I think I guess it's a twofold answer, but they're they're tied together in a way. I mm. something that I really liked about Drum Corps and what drew it what drew me to it in the first place was was actually the visual aspect of it. Like Viz Block was always my always my favorite. I I, re- I actually really, really enjoy marching. I like hmm. the movement aspect of it. And the thing I told myself is I can play my instrument in a lot of cool places, but I can only play my instrument in this really, really cool place that for a very sense. finite amount of time. So if I'm going to do it, I need to do it now. And if I have an opportunity, I need to take it. And I, f- I feel like that's kind of the conversation I had with my parents too, um, because it, and I guess this is the second part, there is nothing like being on that field in front of that crowd mm. and just pouring your soul and your heart and soul out to the audience and having them just feed it straight back to you. I, I will never experience anything like that again. And the opportunity, so when Tanner called and I, someone said, you can do this again, I was like, I have to go. I have to do this. It, I think it was, I think it was my age out year too. I was like, I was, I, I was in that weird like nook of the age bracket where I was just too old to march when I was 21. I know there's a cutoff point. So like, that was it. I was going to march that year. I wasn't going to march ever again. Right. I was like, I had to go. I like, I wasn't going to get to do this ever again. And I was never going to experience any, anything like that ever again. Yeah. And I mean, we've talked to a couple of guests over the, over the course of all the interviews that we've been doing um, that didn't, and, and a few of them didn't actually do that very final year. And it's mm. just a, um, a lifetime of regrets of not actually doing that final year. Then yeah. um, I know Mark Nichols was one, Pat Seidling was another. They didn't actually march that final year. And 
have said how much they regret that ever since. So, I mean, that must be something that you're very thankful for that you got that phone call and then yeah. you had the opportunity to do that final year and have that, that have that final chance to play for that audience. Cause I can imagine what that, I can only, I can only imagine what that must feel like, feel like to play for those, those audiences. Yeah. I I'm just thankful I had the good sense to say yes and just take that leap of faith. Um, but yeah, I, I, I always sometimes feel like I'm being a bit dramatic when I say this, but I genuinely don't think I'm ever going to experience anything like marching onto the field on finals night ever again. Hmm. My little 20 year old brain just kind of exploded walking onto the field (laughs) while also just, you know, keeping my composure because I was walking onto the field, but it was just the most unique, awe inspiring event to be a part of. It was so cool. And tell me, like, I think one of the things that would appeal to me so much uh, from watching from the outside in is the process, the actual process for putting the show together. Was that something that, that, that you enjoyed? Was it something that was was it the performance that drove you more or was it the process that drove you more? I mean, it's probably a little bit of both, I, I'd imagine. But what was the what was the, the the main driving force, the performance of the process, do you think? I think for me, it was actually the performance. I did love the process and I got the unique experience coming into Blue Nights to show up during all days. So I'd already seen some of the process. Like I got to sit down and watch the process like in the, in the middle of it. Like I, I showed up and they had part of it, part of the opener done already. Um, More, probably more than that, but uh, it was a whirlwind anyway. So the process is cool and it's, the process is also, daily life to at some point and I think maybe that's Mm. why I found the performance the driving factor is because you know you even get to like the middle of June and the process is also just what you wake up and do every day and you get to be with all the people that you just love and think are the coolest and rehearse your hearts out and then you get to perform and get to show all this hard work that you've done in my first months of exploring drum corps, I was fascinated with watching hype videos and rehearsal videos online. I still remember watching one particular Phantom Regiment marching block video. I must have watched that video hundreds of times over those early months. I had just started work managing the band that I had grown up in myself, and I wanted to learn how to build that culture of excellence and belief that seemed to be at the heart of this activity. I absolutely think the drum corps teaches us what's possible and it, if we work hard and we push through what, what we can accomplish. I think that's true of anyone that's at any elite level in any activity. I think you look at, at Olympic athletes, you know, these gymnasts and they're spending hours in the gym and they're being pushed so hard, but they realize that there's a payoff for that. Tim Hinden of the Marching Roundtable podcast. I think students like to be pushed if it's for the right reasons and it's in the right context. If they know that there's a real outcome that's going to be favorable for them, and if they know that they are up to it and you and your team are there to support them, and they know the motivations are right, you know, it's not just that you're mad at them and you're yelling at them, but if it's like, here, we can can push ourselves, we can reach another level, imagine what we could do if we got this right, the impact of it, and then you get to experience it. That's the great thing about the marching world is then you get to experience that outcome and you realize, yes, all that hard work and pushing myself and challenging myself and my my instructors and directors pushing me and challenging me too, 
all of that paid off because I got this thrilling moment. It's so exciting as a performer to be able to be a part of a group that is performing at this really, really high level. Being a part of a group where everyone around you is also performing at this level of excellence is a thrill. And it makes me sad that most people don't get to experience that. And that's what's so addicting about drum corps is everyone around you and you are combining to perform at such a level, something that's so exciting, that's so thrilling to the audience. It's addictive and it's it's so much hard work, but you realize it's so worth it. And I think that's a life lesson that's so, so valuable for people. I can work that hard. I can be pushed and I like it and it's worth it because there's an outcome and I see what it's done for me and I see what it's done for those around me. And I see the outcome of this great performance at such a level. Um, I think there's a real life lesson there that drum corps brings to us. I do think one of the challenges is that you have to teach the parents and the community around you of these students why you it's worth it to work this hard and why you're pushing them. I think that's something that all directors and instructors face is that we have to be salesmen in our job and we have to sell and educate our community and the parents and our whole organization why we're doing what we're doing, why we're pushing them so hard, why reaching that level of excellence is worth it, what their students are going to get out of it. We have to constantly remind them. The thing is, we know so well, you know, that we've had that experience, especially if we've marched drum corps, and we know what it's going to bring. But the people around us in our community or in our organization may not know. So I always tell instructors and designers, you have to remember you have to constantly sell this. You have to remind people, this is what your student's getting out of this. This is what this is going to bring to our organization and our community. This is why it's worth it. And then the other important part is you've created a context of sort of understanding and love and appreciation for your students. I've talked to many, many band directors who work at the highest level with their groups, and they always say that they know they have to show and explain to their band family or their community, you know, why they're doing what they're doing. But that if the community sees how much they care, how they're constantly taking care of those students, then they'll buy in and they'll trust them and they'll go there. But the band directors have to constantly show that they do care about the students. They have to reach out. They have to ask them, hey, I heard your grandmother was sick. How are you doing? You know, how, and they have a personal, it's all about relationships, Keith. It's all about relationships and building that in your community and with your parents. And once you build that, and they know your motivation is true and they know that you really care about their students and why you can explain to them, here's why we're pushing them so hard. Here's why we're taking them to this special contest. Once you can explain that and you've set up this sort of culture where they trust you to have their students' best interest in heart, then they will follow you wherever you want them to go. Okay, it's about time that we hear from one of the performers from 2019. My name is Lydia Marshall. I'm one of the drum majors for the Crossmen. We're based in San Antonio, and this would have been my third summer with the Crossmen. So you were due to march this year too? Yes, I was. It would have been my age out year. And will you will you march next year with the with the rule changes or would it just be difficult for you to do that? I do plan on marching next year. Um, I was worried that going into my first year of teaching was going to make that difficult, but um, I, I think I'll be able to make it happen. So where did it all start for you, Lydia? How did you get into drum corps? Yeah, I'm actually not a traditional drum corps musician. I am a woodwind player. I've played flute and piccolo. 
um, this I'm going into my senior year as a music education major at TCU. So been playing for over 10 years. Absolutely love it. And just wanted to get involved with DCI. Go Woodwinds. I'm a clarinet yes. player. So. <laughs> so as a woodwind player, then, how did you find yourself getting into drum corps? Yeah, so I found about I found out about drum corps when I was a sophomore in high school. I actually had no idea what it was even on my way to the theater to watch it for the first time. My friend asked me, what's my favorite core? And I had no idea what the names of the cores were, anything. I was just a big band person. And she's like, hey, I have this great event that you might want to come watch. This will be a lot of fun. And I remember getting there to the, this is the premiere show that happens in June, where it's usually in, um, it was going to be in Detroit this year. And the first core that I saw when I got there was Crossman. This was in 2015. And I absolutely loved it. I just watched in awe as all these cores performed. And I totally fell in love with it. I, I just knew I wanted to be there. And my first in-person show was in 2016. I went to the Houston show. And so the first, the first core I ever saw live was the Phantom Regiment in 2016. So that was the first time that you actually seen a drum corps live? Yes, it was. I, I even met a couple people um, that are now very good friends of mine, but I met them as they were standing outside of their corps uh, souvenir booth and we got to talk a little bit and I, I send them those pictures sometimes. I'm like, hey, look, when I wasn't even in the activity yet and we had already met. <laughs> so did you always know that the role of drum major was going to be your path into drum corps? Did you ever consider brass or color guard? So for me, I did consider taking a separate path into drum corps. I never really felt, uh, followed through with it though. I considered learning baritone for a little bit. I actually did learn baritone in college my freshman year. And I, I knew my heart wasn't really in that. I didn't really want to be on the field. I wanted to be up on the podium because one of my passions was uh, conducting and being in front of that ensemble. So it was more of a, like, I guess, plan B. If this doesn't work out, like, I want to be in the activity still. But um, it, for me, I actually never marched on the field until I was in college. In high school, my first two years, I was out for medical reasons. And then my junior year, uh, as a flute player, I was actually in the front ensemble and I played the xylophone. And then my senior year, I was a drum major. So it wasn't until I was a freshman at TCU that I was able to march on the field. And I think that kind of shook my confidence in wanting to join a world-class corps on the field a little bit. So tell me a little bit about becoming a drum major at the Crossmen. What's the audition process like? Is it similar to how the other members of the corps would be auditioning? Yeah, so becoming a drum major through the audition process is slightly different than the rest of the drum corps. There are things that you're asked to do that the other members aren't asked to do, such as a longer interview with uh, some of the administration, some of the caption heads on the staff. And it's for Crossmen, it's a one weekend audition. So Friday through Sunday, we come in and for three days we have... Uh, like we bring in a piece that we've chosen to conduct just to show our conducting skills. So not really in front of an ensemble. And then we have several interviews and we get to run a rehearsal for a little bit, just depending on when they call you up and could be anywhere from like 
two minutes to 15 minutes, depending on how long they want to see you. So it can be quite intimidating, <laughs> um, but it's different from the core members just because they, they go in for their individual evaluation. They might be asked a few questions and then there's a group evaluation uh, later in that weekend but their process is typically a little more ongoing. Um, they might get a contract right away. They might have to wait a little bit um, to secure a spot. So for the, for the drum majors, for at least Crossman, we begin our audition in January, which is actually quite late compared to some of the other drum corps. So we don't have a drum major chosen, uh, a new drum major at least chosen until at least January. And then uh, for example, this past year, our our new drum major, we had two returning drum majors and one new one. He was chosen in February. So compared to other places, we are quite late, but we do like to be thorough. So Lydia, I know that you're going to be moving into a new career very soon as a music educator. Tell me a little bit about the impact that your role as drum major with the Crossmen and your time with the Crossmen will have made and what sort of um, influence that will have on your new career. Definitely the communication skills I've learned and the people skills I've learned. And I, I don't think I would be as um, far along in learning those skills as I would have if I wasn't in specifically the drum major position in drum corps. Um, you know, beyond those people skills and, and those life skills that you pick up in drum corps that I could spend hours talking about, um, you know, it's obviously also being surrounded by world-class educators constantly every single day and I've learned more about percussion than I probably ever would have learned outside of drum corps um, right. I've learned so much about teaching marching and how to teach fundamentals and those kinds of things which has already benefited by you know I go out and teach high schools uh, as a visual instructor so that's that's been very beneficial for me and also learning that brass pedagogy because yeah, I'm a woodwind player. So the one the one brass pedagogy class I get to take as an undergrad, um, it it definitely helps kind of bridge that gap. And I get a lot of hands-on experience with you know the brass circle and learning about how our brass caption head Steve teaches. And I you know I I could go on and on about the life skills and the musical skills that I've learned, but um, I think it's prepared me for a very difficult job coming up. You know, it's not easy being a band director. And um, I think it's going to help me be a lot more calm in those stressful situations that would come up as a director as well. Finding Drum Corps is brought to you by DCI Experience Tours. Whether you're a fan, alumni, or a music educator looking to bring your students on an experience that they'll never forget, DCI Experience Tours have packages for everyone who plans to come to DCI Finals. 
DCI Experience Tours are hosted by Keith Kelly, host of the Finding Drum Corps podcast and operated by Celtic Horizon Tours. With over 25 years experience in individual and group travel, Celtic Horizon Tours will make sure that you have the best possible experience to suit your needs. Join Keith and the DCI Experience team for exclusive backstage access, VIP dinners, rehearsal walkthroughs, and much more. To see what we're putting together for 2021, or to start working on a custom performance and education tour for your students, head over to CelticHorizonTours.com forward slash DCI Experience, or find us on social media at DCI Experience Tours. Before the break, I talked to Lydia Marshall about the process of auditioning for The Crossmen as a drum major. I wanted to find out more about the audition process from the other side. I never felt I was good enough to march the vanguard. I will think, if you asked most of our current membership, when they first tried out, did they think they were going to make it, they would probably tell you no. Mark Nichols, brass caption head with Santa Clara Vanguard. And I think even half the membership now will tell you when you first tried out, did you make it? And they would also probably tell you no for about half of them. Because a lot of people, if they try out and they're not fully experienced, they might need to march like we have the Vanguard cadets and they have the opportunity to march our brass system, our visual system, our design philosophy, a lot of similar elements between the two drum corps in order to be really trained and ready to go for the A Corps, um, or we have people come from other drum corps to Vanguard who get that experience from marching other drum corps. Uh, so I don't think most people ever feel ready. I don't. I don't think I really that often have someone walk into audition. If I ask them, "Do you feel confident you're going to make the drum corps?" They would probably say no, because it's just it's a you see it on TV and it's this great thing because you see the end. You don't see the beginning right. yeah, where yeah. we're first learning these things. Or, you know, we have this great uh, choreographer, Andy Toth. He's on our design team. He'll ask them to do some of the craziest things I've ever seen. And he just wants to see if they can do it. And he'll go, nope, <laughs> not going to try that. Or every once in a while, he'll go, oh, wow, let's do that. That actually worked. Let's try that. Um, and it is like, this seems crazy. Why would you do this? Because you get to work on it for three months. Like, it's going to be terrible. The first time you do it, but that's okay because it's going to get better. Um, the second part about the audition weekend is we try to make it as much of an experience as possible. We try really hard not to make it feel like an audition. So we do this past year, we did four of them. We did one in Dallas. We did one in Houston. We did one in the LA area and we did one in the San Jose area. So we did four total camps. Our guard did one additionally in Orlando, but for brass, that was our four camps. Uh, when they arrive the first day, it's a whole lot of getting to know the Vanguard system. So we will get together in brass and start to explain why we do the things we do in brass. We'll talk them through the audition process. Visually, they'll do the same thing. We've added a third element now. Instead of just being brass and visual, we do have a movement element, um, a dance element, that they do complete, they get that in advance so they can practice with it. 
And then we have an on-site person that goes through it with them. So for the majority of Saturday, um, it's just like a rehearsal day. They learn mm-hmm. the class approach. They learn the visual approach. They're going to work on the dance in a big group. Um, and the staff just evaluates. Like this person learns really well. This person seems eager. So it sounds like it's a far more informative way of auditioning. So you can actually see how the performers take instruction. Yeah, we we talk a lot. We'll talk to the staff a lot. Who asked a lot of questions? Who mm. seemed engaged? Who got the most improved from Saturday to Sunday? We'll ask a bunch of questions as we go. Uh, we keep a big Google spreadsheet that everyone can see. So if Ben Gunnerson's doing a trumpet sectional, he might put a note in there. So when someone comes in to audition for me one-on-one, then all of a sudden... I've seen that note from Ben where he's like, awesome kid. I think we should sign someone like this. I'll, mm-hmm. I'll see all that. And we constantly communicate. Um, and then at some point on the first day, they'll come in for an audition. And it's, I call it a one-on-one. Usually Evan's in there with me. If Katie's not teaching something, Katie's in there with me. If our staff is like on a visual block, there might be the trumpet staff in there during the trumpet auditions. So there might be a bunch of staff in there. And they'll come in and just play the stuff from our prepared packet. Uh, it's an audition piece of some kind, usually an etude. Um, they'll do some scales just to show us their range, like a chromatic scale, just some very basic exercises. And mm-hmm. we treat it like a private lesson. So if they come in and we're noticing something, we might go, can you try this? Can you try this? Can you do this? And we'll just see how quickly they can adjust. If we hear a tone quality thing, we'll, see what kind of equipment on where they're on. We'll go, let's try this on one of our mellophones. Let's try this on one of our mouthpieces. Do you sound a little different on this? Do you hear that difference? And it's almost an interview, private lesson, audition, all in one. Um, and even it's, before... It is, it's an educational opportunity. I mean, the kids that go away from that weekend not having made the core, just not maybe quite ready yet, will have gone away with something quite special, actually, after a weekend like that, it seems. That's the hope is that they don't feel like they just came in, got told no, went home, have no idea why. Yeah. We, we give them a lot of live instruction and then we give them a lot of written instruction as they're doing all this stuff. I'm making lots of notes. I'm making notes to them going, I heard this. Please try to work on this before we hopefully see you again and different things they can do to improve. And even before all this, we have Facebook groups that are audition groups where they can post videos. They can ask questions. Uh, the veteran members will give feedback to them. Uh, we ask our more veteran members to post videos of what the A2 should sound like. So if they're having trouble preparing it, they can go, oh, this is what this sounds like. They can buzz with it. They can practice. It allows them to feel more comfortable and actually allows us to see kind of what we have coming in the door. We can get right. really excited yeah. about, oh my gosh, is this the camp that Sam's coming to? Because I heard Sam, like this past season, we had this, uh, or I don't know even what to call it, current season that we're in. Uh, mm-hmm. We have a trumpet player from the University of Houston named Sam, and he recorded one of the etudes in the atrium of his university's music building. It was gorgeous. Yeah. So I sent a note to Sam right there and said, Sam, please come to auditions. Like, this is not going to be a question of if you're going to be able to march this drum corps. It's going to matter when. Like, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm ready to see you. I'm excited about you. Let's let's get you here for an audition. Yeah, I love that you're using social media. and I- You know, I, I definitely stole that from somebody. I would love to take <laughs> original thought credit on that, but I definitely stole that from somebody at some point. 
Well, um, we all stand on the shoulders of giants, Mark. <laughs> yeah. So uh, the other cool thing that we do is when we do their assignments, like when it's people have made the drum corps and we're doing monthly assignments, getting ready for a camp, there, there's a rule that they have to comment on three other people's videos. So uh-huh. when one person posts something, they will get guaranteed at least three comments back about it. And it's peer-to-peer instruction. Like, we know what we're saying to them. We're going to be able to get that information to them. That's 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 not a big worry of ours. Like, we know we're going to get enough time with them. Our staff's going to get enough time. But the peer-to-peer information is huge, um, especially on something super difficult. Like, if we have a pretty difficult lick in the show, um, we'll notice it's three or four days in the assignment. No one's put something up on our Facebook page. And we'll go, well, that's strange. It must be pretty hard. And so we'll usually message somebody in the group and go, can you put yours up? We know it's not good yet. Like, just put it up and see what will happen. And they'll put it up. And then all of a sudden we'll get nine or 10 more. And they're like, oh, I was scared that I was a bad one. It's like, no, we're all bad right now. Like, let's just find ways that we can get better right. at it. And then we might do something like our trumpet tech might do a, a little online lesson with them going, cool, we're going to work on this skill that will help you get better at this. Um, but we get all that from just the member interaction. And and I think you, you don't normally get that unless you allow them to function in their own environment. Like they, they live in an online environment constantly. Yeah. Like they're, they're like my, my oldest son, like he's, he's watching YouTube all the time. It's where he gets all of his information from and, <laughs> for and better I, or worse, for better, for worse. And I have to tell him a lot, like, did you get that from a real source or, or, you know, this, this morning we talked about Clone Wars, the Star Wars animated series for 30 minutes. And I'm like, where did you learn all this? He's like, Oh, I've been watching YouTube videos. I'm like, great. That's all. But it's something he's got interest in. And it's something that I think drum corps have been able to get more global about because people are watching YouTube videos yeah, um, yeah. and learning about it and learning. I, I love all the behind the scenes videos. Like the final product videos are great. Mm-hmm. But I think people seeing a, a normal rehearsal and, you know, doing a warm up, doing a Remington exercise, like, oh, wow, drum corps do Remingtons too. Like, yes, we do all of it. So, you found your core, you've passed your audition, and you have your contract for next season. What happens next? I thought I'd ask a former high school buddy of Mallory's to fill me in. You start with the audition, have the audition mm-hmm. camp, um, and you know, kind of pick, pick the membership of that year's season. And then you go into then the camp season, so it's the winter training of um, bringing the group together, um, solidifying some foundations of the technique, uh, introducing new staff members, and if there's uh, new program leadership, learning their, their style and, and their expectations. This is Thompson Vu, former drum major with Boston Crusaders and someone who held that role for a record number of years. You know, once camp season is done, you're prepping for spring training. And spring training is um, different uh, for for different drum corps, I, I think the the drum corps in the northwest that have schools in the quarter system, you know, the schools aren't let out until um, early June, and so their uh, spring training isn't going to start until you know June season, 
Whereas I think for the majority of the rest of the, the country, uh, spring training actually starts sooner um, when they're based on the semester system. And so, um, yeah, with the Boston Staters, they always started uh, Memorial Day weekend. That was, that was the first weekend that started the, the spring training season where now you have this rigorous all, you know, some, some course home all days um, because you're, you're literally just, you know, practicing, rehearsing all day. You know, you get up at 7 a.m., you have an hour for breakfast, uh, and then you're into these four hour blocks you have, uh, wow. and so you have like, usually morning was uh, a visual rehearsal. So it's basics and then drill learning. And then you had an hour for lunch and then you had, you know, a three or four hour block for your sectionals. And so usually, uh, music oriented. So, uh, you know, percussion would go off into, you know, their percussion music brass and then color guard would learn their choreography or continue on on their technique and then you would have an hour for for dinner and then you would have a three to four hour block for um ensemble you know different cores obviously have different approaches and even with the boston theaters over the years um this was the base kind of structure for these um all-day rehearsals uh and then you know modifications as you go you know maybe after dinner you start with an hour of sectionals and then go into um, go into the ensemble. Um, but tell me, Thompson, many of the, the, the kids that are coming to the activity, they're quite young and, and, you know, um, the day-to-day activity that they're going through, through school and, you know, their bands and so on certainly wouldn't be as demanding, uh, as, as this is. Do, do people find it hard to adjust to that level of, of effort and concentration? Is there, is there a, a warm up period to, 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 to season where people are still trying to kind of get themselves, um, physically and mentally in, in shape? Yeah. So I think the winter season is very important for that. Um, okay that exposure to what this might be like. And, um, you know, you still have that similar structure. So, okay. So, um, for the camp season, most would probably come in on a Friday evening. Um, and you would have some sort of a welcome in that evening, um, after the registration and check-in. <clears throat> and then you would have a, a small rehearsal block. Um, that's, you know, until, you know, it's time to, do a little snack and then, um, get ready for, um, get ready for bed. Um, and then you would mm-hmm. wake up and then the, the Saturday morning would be that full day of kind of what it is like, uh, for a typical day during spring training of this all day rehearsal. Um, and so that's, that's the, I would say Saturday is the true barometer of what it is like. And then Sunday is shortened because people have to fly back or, or drive back to wherever mm-hmm. they came from. So if they yeah if they've never if they've never marched drum corps before they sort of get a sense of okay when I when I get in when I when I when I move in this is this is what it's going to be right that they kind of it's it's not a surprise to them I suppose yeah and then you know in the winter season there's a there's a big importance of preparation between the camps right so it's usually a month between and um, you know so we talked about, okay, make sure you're not just sitting on your bum uh, and, you know, just hanging out for a month, you know, drum corps of physical activity. You need to get out there. 
um, and, and do some physical activity. So we would encourage people to exercise, you know, whether that be running, um, you know, usually, you know, cardio was, um, was encouraged cardio endurance, uh, cause that's what was really needed. And, um, of course, practicing your music, um, and it was very telling when you got to the next camp of, uh, who was not prepared. Um, and so that the, the transition between, um, the, the camp season and the, um, the first weekend of spring training, I, I think it's, I always think of it this way. So the first night and then the first full day and you have the, the third day, which is usually that, that shortened day in the camp season. Um, and then you kind of work your way through that, uh, that third day. And then when you wake up on the fourth day, you're like, oh, crap, what have I done? Why am I still here? <laughs> I'm supposed to be home right now. Like, nope, nope, it's not camp anymore. You're here. You're here for the long run. You know, let's do it again. And, and that's kind of the, the first day of true shock. Uh, I was going to say, is that, that where the attrition starts, starts kicking in? Because that's, that's, that's the point that, that, that students, young kids, just, just, they're not used, they're not used to that pushing them, themselves to that sort of limit. Like there must be, there must be an adjustment week. That, yeah. So the first week is always uh, tough for, for that adjustment, <laughs> um, especially if it's your first time uh, doing drug mm. or. Um, I, I like the that fourth morning of oh my gosh I'm still here. <laughs> <laughs> Over the rest of the series, we're going to take a deeper look at the tour itself, the competitions, the judges, the fans, and finals week. But for now, to finish off this episode on the performers, let's hear from Peyton Grunsky, drum major with the Blue Coats, about what it's like to finish off the season and head home. For like the first day, you're kind of relieved because you can just take a break and take a real shower and sleep in a bed. But after that, I think the kind of homesick feeling starts to set in. Most of us on tour purposefully kind of shut out the rest of the world, even with the increase in social media. It's so nice to just kind of put all of your other worries on hold for a little bit and focus on one thing. And so not only do you have to then return to anything that you put on hold, but you are leaving behind these amazing people that you spent the last three or four months with. Um, and to know that like that awesome product that you spent so much time on is now gone forever. There is like a little bit of a sense of loss. I think you still have all the great memories and experiences from the tour, but it's hard to return to the real world and know that that same core and that product isn't going to come back. I always knew that I wanted to be a teacher, um, but I think my experiences with the marching arts, as well as other experiences, but primarily with the marching arts in high school and then going into drum corps was really what influenced me to pursue music education, just because I have seen at every level how beneficial it is for people who participate. You learn such a wide variety of skills, both musically um, and interpersonally and social emotional skills. Um, and so I think that that really ignited my passion for teaching music to students. 
And then on top of that, I learned so many applicable skills as far as how to lead a band and how to lead a program and how to rehearse, just getting to watch some of our nation's best music educators teaching at a drum corps. Um, I, I'm really grateful to have that kind of educational background. I think that's gonna make me a better teacher in turn. Thank you to all of the guests on this episode. Tim Hinton, Lydia Marshall, Mark Nichols, Thompson Vu, Peyton Grunsky, and of course, my co-producer, Mallory Anderson. Thank you, as always, to my friends at DCI for their support and encouragement with the project. And thank you to everyone who has reached out with positive messages. If you'd like to contact me, you can at keith at bandsofireland.com or on Facebook or Instagram at The Global Bandroom. As always, if you've enjoyed the show, I would really encourage you to head over to dci.org and if you can, make a donation to the March On Fund or to your favourite core or soundsport team this summer. Until the next episode, March On. Finding Drum Corps is produced by The Global Bandroom, a podcast where we chat to band directors and musicians from across the world. If you liked this episode, make sure to subscribe. Finding Drum Corps is available on iTunes, Spotify, and wherever you get your podcasts. To find out more about Finding Drum Corps and all of our incredible guests, follow us at The Global Band Room on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter.